is actually all about Esther. And she has approached the throne of the world now in the sense of going before the king. But she went to the throne of grace first. She and Mordecai and all the Jews went to the throne of grace before she went to the throne of the world. So that title is all about Esther. But our four points tonight are all about Haman. We left off last week with everything seeming to be against Queen Esther. Man, it looked like nothing was going right for her. The law was against her. The officers were against her. Everything seemed to be, uh, seemed to be against her. But tonight, we'll look at how things are really, truly turning against Haman. And so we're going to look at the hand against Haman, the happiness of Haman, the haughtiness of Haman, and the hatred of Haman. So in verses 1 through 5 that we read, we're going to consider the hand against Haman. So what we read there, this is where the rubber meets the road. As far as for for Queen Esther, that is, the king was was either going to receive her or he was going to sentence her to be executed. And in that day and time, it, was, it wasn't very likely that he was going to receive her because she was going unwelcomed, unannounced. She didn't make an appointment. And it was most likely that she would be executed. But she was going before the throne of the world after going to the throne of grace with Mordecai and the Jews. Man, what a revival must have happened. I tell you what, when you have that many people that are praying and it says they had a fast, there's a revival that is going on here. And they sought the Lord for three days. You know, the old King A, he, he had some unpredictable mood swings, you know. And, and so Queen Esther's thinking about that part of his character, but she can also consider the unwavering promises of God that he makes to his children. And she is more persuaded by the character of our Lord than she is of the king. This was a great display of faith by Queen Esther. I mean, we ought to talk about Esther more. And this step that was made, there was prayer, and now it's time to act by faith and trust that you had sought God in prayer and to respond to the situation because God was going to respond to our prayers. She also had faith in the covenant between God and the Jews. She didn't just step off in blind faith with no purpose in it. Well, well, uh, they say have faith in God, so I'm just going to move forward and I'm going to trust and have faith. You know, it wasn't a blind faith. It wasn't an aimless faith. It wasn't, it wasn't just a simple, I'm told to have faith, so I'm going to have faith in God. She had faith to do this, but she knew the covenant that God made with the Jews. 
I mean, if she believes the promises of God, she believes the covenant that she is in. She knew Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed." She was in a covenant with God. God had made promises to her and her people, and she could have faith in that. She didn't know. She didn't have recorded down all the promises that we have today. Oh, the promises that we have from the Word of God that we can claim, that we can confidently go boldly before the throne of God for. Yet, there are so many who are neglecting the throne of grace. We're, we're all guilty. As I thought about that statement right there and studied that, I've thought about many things that I've tried to do before in the things of the Lord. And, and as I recall it, I prayed, but I don't recall as much prayer as I should have been putting forward to it. The greatest dependence should be right there, trusting God's promises and calling upon Him. Esther did so. And Esther was prepared in every way to, to go before the king. She was prepared by supplication. She was prepared by a heart that was willing to sacrifice. She, she saw everything that was laid on the table. And she said, I'm doing this. And if I perish, I perish. She was willing to sacrifice uh, herself for the people. She was prepared by her physical presence. She put on her best. And, and, and that foo-foo juice and whatever they did for makeup in that day. I mean, she was ready. And she comes before the king unannounced, uninvited. And this king welcomes Esther in. A verse that's appropriate for that is Proverbs 21.1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. Aren't you, aren't you glad that, that you can pray for, for God to use a doctor, even if that doctor doesn't belong to him for the sake of one's child? And, and, and to know the providence of God here, He has welcomed her in. The door of this opportunity has now flung open. There is no doubt that she was tempted to an anxiousness. This was quite a moment that she was in waiting for His response, and He welcomes her in. And so... So what do you do? What, what does Esther do? Does she get excited and go right to him and, and tell him all about Haman? Tell him all about this man that he's put in a position that, that is of evil ways? 
Well, no, that, that didn't happen. You would think she couldn't wait to. You would think that was the green light and the door open and the gate open and, and that's what's next. But there's a delay. There is a delay in these things happening. We're not going to say we can credit Esther with it all. God used her as part of it. But we see the providence of God in this. That, that the way has been made open, but we see a delay. And there is a when in the delay, as in W-H-E-N. There's a where in the delay, a who and a what. First of all, the when. Why was it a delay? It, it wasn't the right time. Esther, you know, think about her just throwing out this shocking news about a man that he, the king, appointed and that he is an evil man who the king has made his chief officer. And, and Mr. Unpredictable, the king A here, he could, have, he could have just considered it some kind of gossip and things could have gone the wrong way for Esther and it could have backfired on her. But there's also the idea of a where that caused a delay. It wasn't the right place. She had just gone into the throne room of the king. Well, you can count on there being servants around. You can count on there being people around in the room. I mean, she's going in unannounced. It wasn't prepared like it was only going to be him there, and it was known. So th there's, there's, there are servants uh, to the king there. And it wouldn't have been right to make such a serious, big proclamation publicly about this. You know, if, if she would have knelt before the king and wept in front of everyone else about it and, and told them about it, who, who knows how the environment might have changed the king. He, he was fickle. We, we see his character. He's a very fickle person. And you never know what's going to happen. So you never know how he's going to respond. So with others around, that it, it, it wasn't the, the right time. It wasn't the right place. And privacy was better. So there was a cause of delay. But also... There was a who that caused delay. Obviously, Haman needed to be there. The queen called for Haman to be there with him. Haman needed to be caught off guard. You know, he, he didn't... It would not have been good for Haman to know what was going on so he could, so he could be calculating and figuring up his response, and how to dirty the fight, and how to muddy the waters of the situation. We see in Haman's character that he needed no advance for that situation whatsoever. He would have really messed up the reality of the situation the best that he could. And then there's a fourth reason for the delay, and this is something that Esther knows nothing about. And it's nothing we even see in this chapter. But it's coming down the road. And that is, all of a sudden, the king's going to discover that he had never thanked Mordecai. He had never honored Mordecai. You remember Mordecai 
was responsible for the saving of his life. Mordecai was given a position at the gate. And as he's at the gate, he hears a plot to kill the king. And he makes sure that that message gets to the queen so she can give it to the king. And she, and she had it recorded that it was from Mordecai who took care of this. And you remember talking about it? It went without being thanked. It went without being acknowledged. So he's going to discover that he never thanked Mordecai. And, and Mordecai here, Haman hates him. Oh, he can't stand him. And, and the king is going to honor Mordecai as quickly as he can. He is going to make up for neglecting the saving of his life by this man. This is going to honor Mordecai and it's going to humiliate Haman. This is really going to help the situation when Queen Esther goes to tell the king what kind of man Mordecai is that he has placed in office. So Esther had the banquet prepared already. This first banquet. And... and Haman has to hurry and get there because the king, he's, he's willing to grant her request. And I see something freely in here with not a lot of questions asked. He's willing to grant her request and he ordered Haman because of her invite of Haman... He ordered him to get there as soon as he possibly could and attend as she wished. And think about this. She says, I want to have a banquet and Haman be there. King A never says, why Haman? The providence of God in this. The Lord's hand is against Haman. But we go to our next point, which might sound confusing, the happiness of Haman. The Lord's hand is against Haman, but that doesn't mean Haman knows it and he doesn't know it. He actually thinks the opposite is going on. He is, he's happy. Hey, uh, verses 6 through 9 right there. We see Haman is at this special banquet that the queen prepared and he is happy. He thinks he's being honored at this banquet. You know, we don't know, but it, there's no way it was typical and it was even doubtful there was ever such a banquet that you had the king, the queen, and just one other of his officers. But Haman is here and, and imagine maybe the countenance of Esther and just think about her preparing a banquet. She has gone into the king without announcement she has something major on her heart to share. She has something that is concerning to her. And Haman's sitting there, most likely thinking, she wants my advice. She looks up to my counsel for her. Haman couldn't be happier. But what's going on is that God's providence is steadily at work. So here, now, the door's flung open. She's before the king. There is a delay. And so she calls for a banquet. I mean, the right people are there at the right place. She now has king and Haman there and herself. And yet there's still delay. 
she, does, she, doesn't, she doesn't pull the trigger. In other words, she doesn't reveal what's going on about Haman yet. I mean, she may, and she may think it's her nerves and uh, temptation to anxiety, but, but there's a delay going on that she doesn't know about till, until Mordecai is honored. Until Mordecai is honored, that is a factor that plays into this that we're going to see in the next chapter. So there is a delay on this first banquet. And there's going to be a second banquet now. So, so the, king, the king sits down before her and Haman's there. And what is it on your heart? What do you want? It's, it's for you. Well, if you're willing to honor my request then we're going to have another banquet tomorrow night. We're going to meet for dinner tomorrow night. And tomorrow night, I will reveal the situation. The king simply and easily goes along with this. Really? He's just, okay, tomorrow night is the banquet. Esther has received a warm welcome from the king, uninvited, unannounced. She had, she had him wait till they went to the banquet. They go to the banquet. She's having him wait again until they go to the banquet tomorrow night. You know, some people have said they think I'm a pretty patient person. But, but there are certain occasions where I'm not. It just drove me crazy yesterday. I had, to, I had to go buy my son a certain pair of pants for school. And I guess I haven't been in these big department stores at the mall in three or four years because they're totally rearranged. I walk up to what used to be a register, and there's nobody there. I go all over the store. All of a sudden, I, I just can't... Get, I can't hardly handle it. I can't find a place just to give some money for some clothes in my hand and get out of there. They have one big giant register, and we're standing in one long line there. And then they say that they're having to shut down, and, and they tell me where to go, and I can't hear. I don't know what they're saying. And so we're wandering around the store. I go to the jewelry counter, and, and, and these two jewelry registers are talking to each other trying to help one another and it's total chaos all I want to do is pay for these clothes and get out of here Kenley will tell off on me it was just boggling me driving me crazy I, there are situations where I don't like to wait who likes to go to the doctor's office and wait I, I, won't, I won't say the name but there's a, there's a member of this church that will give the doctor one hour and they're walking out the door no questions asked we don't, we don't like to wait. Imagine being king. The king doesn't have to wait. He can demand whenever and wherever he wants to do something. And he's been asked to wait, and he's waiting for another day. I mean, there is something on the king's calendar for the, for the next night. There is something on his agenda, and it's just canceled. No questions asked from the king. He's just cooperating with everything she says, the providence of God. How about this in the works here? You remember that Mordecai 
told Hatak that Esther was a Jew. I don't know who all knows now that Esther is a Jew. It's not public, but somebody knows it. And the thing about somebody knowing it, they know they can profit very well from taking that information to Haman. They can profit in the world. They can profit in a wrong way, but that's how the natural man's looking to profit. And if he, and if he, whoever he is or she is, would take that information to Haman, then they're moving their way up like Haman thinks he's moving their way up. It doesn't happen. Haman does not find out in this process that, that she is a Jew. He's just getting happier and happier with every banquet he's invited to. He feels like he's getting more and more important all the time. Wow, so he's really off guard, all right? He's, he's super off guard, which is a great thing for somebody who would put together such a wicked agenda had they known in advance what was coming. But he had no tricks up his sleeve. It's kind of like Judas Iscariot. Man, he looked around the disciples. They like me. I'm in good with them. They don't know anything about my wicked heart. But God did. And, and, and God knows today. And we know how things ended for Judas. But anyway, we have the happiness of Haman here. But not only that, we have the haughtiness of Haman in verses 10 through 12. Stories told of a young preacher who stepped up in the pulpit, really overconfident. And you could tell by what he said as he began the message and he laid it out. And he got started preaching the message and all of a sudden things weren't going so well in the sermon. And it just got worse and worse. And by the time he got to the end, he held his head down and he just went to walk out the door. And an older, wise member met him before he got to the door and said, if you would have went into that pulpit the way you came out of that pulpit, you'd have come out of that pulpit the way you went into the pulpit. And so with Haman, Haman left the banquet overconfident. Man, he builds his house on sinking sand. He just goes in there, uh, leaves overconfident, haughty attitude. He went back so happy after dining with the king and the queen. And guess what? I have plans to dine with the king and the queen tomorrow night too. So Haman has a story to tell. One of those stories you, you just can't stand to hear. But he calls his friends around. He calls his wife around just to tell his story about all of his riches and all of his children and everything that he has and to boast of all that he has. Man, there's a reason why in Proverbs 6.16, we've shared a few times lately, there's a reason why pride is first on the list. And it's not for a good reason. Yet people go around showing pride off as if they have a million dollar coat on they're, they're proud of. Proud of their pride. You know, there's a lesson, there's the lesson of Lucifer that is just very much unlearned concerning pride. Pride 
is so very dangerous because, because of so many other sins that will come about as a result of embracing pride. Pride will kill a person, yet people cling to it. As we've shared, Haman shows us everything that we don't want to be. That, that's valuable. Let's go ahead and look at the hatred of Haman. And it's been a while since we read, so let's read it again. Uh, the end of verse 9, just the end of verse 9, it says, uh, but, but when Haman saw Mordecai, he was happy as he could be. He was, he was tiptoeing through the tulips. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up, he, he didn't stand up in respect to him. You know how, like, Commissioner Reagan walks in the room, if you know the show, and, and, and all the other officers stand up in respect to him? Haman uh, what, didn't have Mordecai stand up in respect to him, nor move for him. And, and so Haman was full of indignation against Mordecai. And then look at the last two verses. And, and, and after the big proud boast of everything he has, and, and he's gathered his circle around, and he's, he's uh, building himself up in his pride over it, but then it changes gears. Verse 13, Yet all this, everything I have, everything that's going for me, meeting with the queen, having dinner with the king and queen, all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then, then what did his wife say and his friends? Let a gallows be made of 50, 50 cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. There, hey, Haman has been full of shenanigans, pride, and now he has malicious hatred. He has, he has these false highs, and these evil lows, he's, Haman's unstable, I see, in the recording of all this. Haman is unstable, and he's all over the place. I mean, anybody with the character combinations that Haman has is going to be that way. He goes from feeling like he's number three in the land to going about fretting and getting bending all, bent all out of shape over one person. Because Mordecai had refused to bow down to Haman. And, and of course, Haman can't understand this, but Mordecai's not bowing down to him, not because he's rude, not because he thinks he's better than somebody else, not, not because he's hateful, but because of righteous conviction. He's not, he didn't bow down to him before, and now he doesn't stand up when Haman comes by the king's gate. And the reason why he doesn't is because of righteous conviction and his discernment about Haman. I mean, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and acts like a duck, it's probably a duck. And that is what Haman is. So he refused to, to stand and acknowledge him uh, when, in his presence when he comes by. And verse 9 that we read says, Haman was full of indignation against Mordecai. Hatred harbored within will make us so unstable that, that we can't handle our own selves. 
We can't walk properly. We can't talk righteously. We can't think holy. We can't enjoy life. It is, it is such a dangerous hindrance to our Christian life. Haman has malice toward Mordecai. I mean, there's one thing that there's hatred, but when you go talking about malice, look, this is deep-seated hatred. Oh, we learn everything we don't want to be by him. I mean, in that kind of malice, in that kind of stuff that Haman has inside, he wants someone else to suffer. And he's not happy about anything good about anyone. He hates the success of another. That's malice. If malice is ruling, forgiveness is never going to be the solution. But the dead-end road of revenge will always be the road taken. And that's a short road and short-lived. You know, the thing about malice, it's not content just to be our thinking. It's not content just to be in the mind. It's going to act. It's, I mean, hey, there's hateful thoughts, and then there's hateful acts. And it's going to act. It doesn't matter if it's front of, in front of anyone or, or everyone. Malice will cause us to lose our mind. You know, the trouble of, of uh, shooting at someone in the sense of malice is that the ammunition ricochets off the target and comes back and injures the one shooting. Haman teaches us how to destroy ourselves. What a, what a valuable lesson there is in Haman. I, I didn't think I would say something like that. I love hearing about the Apostle John, or the Apostle Paul, or Barnabas. Man, what, 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 in, what encouraging Christians they are. But how valuable is it to see that, that we can look at someone in the Bible and, and when that temptation rises in us, we're a, the Holy Spirit's able to help us to put on the brakes because we don't want to be Haman. We see what Haman is. And it's within the potential of every one of us to stoop, to backslide to Haman. So what a valuable example he is. And what he was is what the others around him became. He had his own little crew that he brainwashed, if you will. It, look at what it says. He was talking about his, his wife and his friends, and he, he went back complaining about Mordecai. And now you have that group saying, well, just go hang him. Did they even know who Mordecai was? Did they? Did they? Could they really tell you a reason why he should be hung? I mean, Haman, Haman could lead a crew. It was just the wrong way, though. His wife and his friends say, hang him. That rubbed off. That malice rubbed off to others. The old camp preacher said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How careful we have to be about those we choose to be around. Reach everybody for Jesus Christ. Show everybody the love of the gospel that they might be saved. But who we dwell around, that's another story.
And God has a story for that in His word of warning. So, so the plan of Haman's crew now, whether they even can make anything sensible out of it in their own way or not, they play, well, he needs to be hung. Haman says, Haman's mad, so, so how about you go to the king and we hang him? How about we, how about we exalt him and, and extend him up very high to send a message to all the Jews about what's coming their way in less than a year? Man, that'll intimidate the rest of the group. They'll be walking on eggshells after we're through with Mordecai. Man, Haman has built his house on seeking sand. And everything's going to come crashing down. And he's going to die on that very platform, if you will, that was, that was set up for Mordecai. I'll just tell you in advance, it's coming later. He's going to die on the very stake that was set up so high for the one he hated. Esther doesn't see it all yet. Esther doesn't see everything yet, but it paid to go from the throne of grace first, then to that throne of the world. It paid to have faith in God, to do the right thing, and to trust Him. We're going to see more of this in chapter 6 as the hand of God is against this, well, you can say He's happy, haughty, hateful, and just, he just becomes a downright hopeless Haman. And as we close tonight, again, seeing everything we don't want to be, let us consider Haman living in his feelings, in his flesh, in a natural state, and what he does instead of living by faith like Esther. What a wonderful example Esther is of what, of what we should be. And, an, and what a wonderful example Haman is of what we shouldn't be. A fitting verse to describe Haman and what's coming for him as we close. Proverbs 5.21 For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Wow, that's, that's just like what's going on with Haman and what's going to happen to him. Take that picture and look at the picture of our God today who's who never changes, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and see that God's people are going to, to win, and the enemy is going to fall apart. God in His providence is going to see to it. You know what this does? This helps us not to, not to be so hasty in the moment with a situation. How many times have we been guilty... We look at situations, and we just think it's hopeless. And something happens that we never expected, never even thought of, that could happen for God's people. And then God brings it about by His providence. Let us have confidence in Him in all situations. Believe His promises. His promises are are for you and I. He is able 
to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So when you say there's no way, look, I'm, I'm not saying I don't believe God, I'm not saying I don't have faith, but there's just no way out of this. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. We can't see the way, but He knows the way. He has the way. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, 